Welcome to Startup to Last, a podcast about building profitable software businesses that are meant to last. The topic for today is how to teach yourself to code a web-based application. But first, we're going to give a few updates on our businesses. Hi, I'm Tyler. I run a bootstrap SaaS company called Less Annoying CRM. And I'm Rick. I'm the founder of Leg Up Ventures, which owns and operates software companies that empower underdogs. Cool. What's up this week, Rick? Well, um, probably the biggest thing is Pando Labs, which is the community that my company Group Current manages, is on a path to sustainable growth, which is very much relevant to this podcast. Mm Mm-hmm. Panda Labs is a nonprofit, but a lot of the principles we talk about on this podcast apply to the nonprofit world where there's only so much impact you can have if you're operating on it unsustainably. Right. So what do you mean when you say sustainable, like it's on pace for sustainable growth? Um, we, are, we are cash flow positive as an organization. The flywheel that we've built around members, memberships, partners, and community value is working. Mm-hmm. Member grow- members are growing, they're retaining, and it's allowing us to spend more time and, and have more impact as a result of that. And what it means is that the more, basically the impact that we're having is resulting in more revenue to the organization, which in turn allows more impact to happen. That's what mm-hmm. I mean by sustainably. Cool. And sure, maybe like we could have more impact right now if we spent our time focusing purely on impact without an eye towards sustainability. But so what's what's big about this is it's not just a one time, yay, we had some impact. This is something that we look at that could have impact for decades to come. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know this is always a bit of a debate of like, how should the funding model work? Um, and you know, there's, there's these businesses that like buy a pair of shoes and will give a pair of shoes to a homeless person or whatever. And there's different models for trying to make impact sustainable. Um, but I know someone here in the St. Louis, uh, community that's runs a nonprofit and is very involved in nonprofits. And he's always a big advocate for like nonprofits, even though you're called a nonprofit, if you're only relying on charity, uh, it's not going to last. And and you end up spending all your time just seeking donations instead of actually doing stuff. A hundred percent agree. And this Pando Labs was in that situation when we took it over mm-hmm. um, at the beginning of this year. And we've converted it to having its own revenue sources that are more fee-for-service revenue based on the community versus donors, you know, donations and charity grants. Yeah. Yeah. That's very cool. Yeah. Awesome. Super Did, cool. Does that change your plans with it going forward? Or are you just kind of like stay in the course in terms of what you were already working on? What it allows us to do is there, there's a lot of, there were a lot of legacy, what I would call commitments that had been made by the organization in order to bring in money to sustain itself, to keep it, it really not sustain itself, but to keep it alive for a few more months. And we're at a point now where we can start winding those relationships down. So that, that are, very distracting towards to the new model. Right. And just by, by replacing the time we're spending on those legacy relationships with time going towards member value, community value, partner value, we should see a massive impact on growth and, uh, and more resources. Hmm. So um, that's all we're going to do for now is keep doing the same thing we're doing, but 
but add more time into it that we're spending on other things. Yeah, that's cool. Another thing that I find interesting about Panda Lab specifically, it's the Park City startup community, basically, right? We don't use the word startup. We use entrepreneur. Or entrepreneur. And that's very intentional. Okay. But so it's it's limited to Park City, which I find really interesting because there's no outcome here where this takes over the world. Like Park City is a really small town. I assume the entrepreneurial community is pretty small. So it's interesting to the point of sustainability. Pretty quickly, you're going to hit a point where it's about maintaining and continuing to pro- provide value to the same people. Whereas I think many people who deal with startups and entrepreneurship, it's like growth, 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 and you never even see what happens after that. That's a good point. Yeah. And I would say that we're a little bit, we have a, I would say we're positioning ourselves as Park City's entrepreneurial community, but just there isn't a requirement that you live in Park City in order Mm -hmm. to be a part of the community. So we're seeing a lot, a lot of people who maybe are turned off by the, the community that's more in Provo and, and Lehigh and want to be a part of more of the University of Utah and get access to Park City. And we're seeing those people actually see Panda Labs as a way to connect to the Park City ecosystem and be a part of it, even though it's not, uh, they're not living there day to day. Gotcha. Cool. Awesome. Um, Anything but, else? Yeah. The main thing is I'm, I'm turning my attention to now that that's set and ready, I can I can free up some of my mind space to uh, learn how to code. And yeah. that's, um, that was a decision I made as a result of our podcast, I think our episode two or three episodes ago where, um, and we'll talk about this as we, we get into the topic. So I'll, I'll shut up. <laughs> Tell me cool. about what's going on with you. Uh, yeah, not much. I mean, I kind of same old, same old. Um, I just booked a trip out to Utah and your stomping grounds um, to kind of do one of these. I think it's a 10 or so day trip just to like get away from the office and focus on work and see you a little, but mostly just dive into the work. So I'm excited for that. Um, well, this is going to be the first time you've come out here or I've gone there where we've had this weekly conversation going. Uh-huh. So I'm interested in uh, how that changes the dynamic of your visit. Yeah, definitely. I also wonder, should we record the podcast in person? That'd be weird. That'd be kind of fun. <laughs> okay. I'll bring a mic out. Maybe we can do that. <laughs> That'd be cool. Cool. Um, and then aside from that, not much going on at work, but um, every six months I give like a kind of presentation to the whole company. Just, you know, what have we done over the six months? What are we planning next six months? And then also normally, well, I shouldn't say normally, but sometimes there's like a big topic to talk about. So like, oh, we're launching this new product. I want to tell everybody about it or whatever. Um, and this was an interesting one because we, we there were no big topics. Like we're working on a really big project right now. We talked about it in the uh, I think the last podcast episode. Everyone's just head heads down execution mode. There's there's no big decisions being made or anything like that. So this is the first time in a while where I've given one of these company updates that's just pretty boring and nothing major going on. Really, <laughs> it's a weird feeling. Did people like that? I have one-on-one scheduled with everybody next week, so I, I have not gotten anyone's feedback on it. I, I'll say this: I liked it because um, I people who I admire, including you, I think, tell me like the role of a CEO is basically to say the same thing over and over and over until everyone's sick of hearing it. And that's I think that's what felt weird about it is everything I said in this meeting in this presentation I've already said before, uh, but I know I think it was good practice for me to be like. I bet half the people here forgot this point, and now I'm just going to like drive it home a little bit more. 
it's 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 redundant to you, but probably not to most of the people that were hearing the message for the second, third, or fourth time. Mm-hmm. I'm very interested in the feedback you get from your one on ones. Okay, cool. I'll I'll make a point to bring that up next week. Be cool. Cool. So, uh, how about the the topic for this week? You want to intro it? All right. So, as I mentioned in my update, now that I've got Panda Lab steady group currents on a good trajectory, we're starting to turn our attention to. I'm I'm starting to turn my attention to both for group current and some other ventures I've got going on. How can I finance the development of a minimally viable product, specifically in the software application space, uh, business to business software application space? And I, after our conversation a couple of weeks ago about how how to acquire, how to bring on a technical co-founder. One of my constraints at Leg Up Ventures is I don't want to give up control of the company um, as I scale it, which really limits my ability to. I have to be very cautious about giving up equity early in the company because I need to be able to give up equity later in the company without losing control. <laughs> and so I I realized that to get the person I really need in that episode, I need someone who's a full stack developer. And basically that's a unicorn that is going to cost me an arm and a leg in terms of cash and, or like demand equity. And so um, I I reflected on that. I talked to some people, talked to you actually offline. And what I came to was I was a computer science major at Duke. So I'm not like a, I'm not some person who doesn't know anything about how a web application works. Mm -hmm. But from when I learned, I mean, the Duke computer science program, when I was there, we were doing like assembly classes. And I, my eyes were glazed over. The best classes were the programming classes where we actually built something that resulted in something that worked. But that was before Facebook, like Facebook was just getting started at the time. The whole idea of building a web application and building a business around it was no part of the curriculum. Well, if if I can interject for a second, I think a lot of people who don't who didn't major in computer science don't appreciate the fact that most computer science classes you don't code at all. Most you write your answers down on a piece of paper and turn it in. You really don't learn much about software engineering, which is a whole different discipline from from computer science. Exactly, and the reason I majored in computer science was to learn how to code. I ended up not learning much how to code, but I learned a lot of theory and I learned how you know, the history of the internet and some valuable things. Mm-hmm. Um, plus I can say I majored in computer science and people think that's cool. Um, <laughs> so uh, I, but, but the, you know, I did learn some things about coding through that major and it, but there is, but there's been, you know, 12 years, 13 years since I've coded past HTML and CSS. And so there's a huge gap between how I, think in my head based on what I learned a web building a web application works and what the truth is today. There's been significant evolution in the no code space, for example, which mm-hmm. allows people who have no ability to code to logically and visually design applications. There are also significant infrastructure automation tools that, uh, that massively um, reduce the uh, knowledge you have to have about setting up and running um, servers uh, and worrying about security and and all these things that you really had to know back in 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 our day, my day, <laughs> two thousand seven. So um, what I what, what I wanted so now so I've decided that I need to learn these things and I don't know where to start. So mm. I, I think there are a couple of approaches. I've so why do I want to do this? I want I want to start there. 
Yeah. I am terrified of making a mistake hiring someone uh, to do this and, and wasting a ton of money. I'm also terrified of bringing the wrong co-founder on because I don't know enough about what I truly need. I, mm-hmm. When I say, when you say I need to hire a full stack developer, that's good. That's like a unicorn to me. And I feel that's very risky. So I, I, I want to, re- through this effort, my main goal is to reduce risk. I don't actually expect my myself to actually learn how to code a full application. I do expect to de-risk bringing on support to build the application. Yeah. Well, and if I can add one other reason to do this, I think it'll make you a better executive overseeing future technical hiring. You know, there's no business in the world that doesn't have some technical component to it anymore. And if you want to run businesses, knowing how to code will help you, even if you never write a line of code ever again. Totally agree. Cool. So what I'm looking for you is, I, my problem is, you, you understand why I'm doing this. It's not necessarily to learn how to build an application. It's to de-risk, address my fear of really wasting money, right? And, and early stage product development. So I, you know, I, I just don't, where do I start? Yeah, well, I think it's good that you have that constraint here because like for any, for anyone listening to this episode, it's like how to learn how to code is such a broad topic. We need a constraint. And the constraint here is you're not trying to go get a job as a professional developer. If you were, I'd say you probably need a much better theoretical background, first of all. And second of all, you need to uh, the technology you use would need to be really focused on like what's sexy and trendy right now because that's how you get hired. You don't care about any of that. So it's really how do you build an MVP as quickly as possible, ignoring your learning and and the sustainability of the, the software long term because someone else is going to come along and rebuild it probably. Yep, exactly. Okay, so that's great because I mean, my take on things and, and so my background here I majored in computer science at the exact same time you did and got, sounds like the exact same education you did, but then became a professional software engineer after that. And I don't code a ton anymore. I probably maybe put in 10 hours a week at this point, but I think I'm relatively up to speed on how things go. My attitude is that it was much, much easier to ship a working software product 10 years ago than it is now. Why? Uh, well, let me let me clarify. You can still do it the way you could ten years ago, but the technology that's really hot right now is way more complicated and like engineering heavy. Whereas ten years ago is kind of the sweet spot where the internet was mature enough that there were lots of really great tools, but it hadn't gotten super complicated yet. Well, I don't. That that seems to go against what I thought was true. Yeah. Um, so let me give you an example here. Like basically the the quality of web apps has gotten a lot higher in the last 10 years. So like I'll take Less Annoying CRM, my company. When when we built it, we built it with kind of old school technology. We, we can dive into the specific tech later, but uh, we built it with 10 years. It was almost exactly 10 years ago we started, built it with that technology. And it wasn't great. Like every time you did something in the app, it had to reload the page. Right, it wasn't really slick. There weren't cool animations going on, but it got the. It, it was what we described in the uh, the other episode. It's a CRUD app: create, read, mm-hmm. update, delete. All it could do was put data into a database, get data out of a database, and give the user the information they needed in the moment. That's what most software fundamentally is. But if you use software nowadays, first of all, the page never reloads. Everything is happening. It's more like a desktop application, and that things are happening all over the screen. Uh, things are fading in, notifications are coming in, everything's real time. And so it's not that building web apps is harder. It's that the expectation of users has, is a lot higher. And to, to satisfy those expectations, you need to build a, a much more complicated tool. 
is that necessary for MVP? Uh, I don't think it has to be, but I think this is like, I know you sort of already have ideas about what you want to build. It depends a lot on what you want to build. And I think you can put constraints around yourself to say, well, you, Rick, are not going to build, for example, a Slack competitor. The user experience matters too much there. You wouldn't want to anyway, but like that would be a really difficult technical thing to do. But so I would kind of think what product is going to be an easy one to build without having a really, really polished UX. Um, That's interesting. It fits with your, your, like, do you have, do you want to describe at all what you want to build here? Well, that's, that's kind of where I don't, I don't necessarily want to build anything. Um, I want, the only reason I would want to build something, listen, I have no shortage of ideas on things that could be built. Mm -hmm. That's not the problem. My goal is not to build something. My goal is to learn how to build something and build it and build something if I can. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah so, yeah. so I'm actually, so when you said, when you, when you actually started to minimize the UX focus, one of the things that I was thinking was if I could figure out the UX stuff, maybe I could like one, one approach is a generalist approach where I learn a little bit about the full stack mm-hmm. um, and don't become an expert on any one and have a solid macro understanding of everything that's going on and then supplement my macro understanding with experience contractors, you know, in each area. Sure. The other approach that I thought about was, well, what if I just said, I, I'm a, okay. If you think about everything it takes to get a product off the shelf, there's, you know, product marketing, product slash marketing of which is market research, customer development, that kind of stuff. Then there is design Right. Mm-hmm. And that's gets into um, the intersection of, you know, what does it look like and what does it do and how does it feel and actual HTML and CSS and JavaScript or whatever you want to, whatever language is appropriate. Front end development mm-hmm. is what I'm talking about. And then there's back end uh, development, which gets into the database. And then somewhere there is the infrastructure piece on the other end. Yeah. And I guess what, you know, one, one approach is, I'm not going to worry about design. I'm just going to focus on making something functional. Another approach is I'm actually going to worry more about design and less about the functional piece. I don't know which is more valuable for me. Yeah. So I have a suggestion here, which is, so just to reiterate the, the, the areas you said, I'm going to go in the reverse direction. You've got infrastructure, which is keeping your servers running. You've got database. I'd say database is a part of backend, but backend also involves a server side language, PHP, Ruby, Python, Node, something like that. Um, and then you've got front-end development, and then you've got design. What I would do is pick a product idea that needs very little front-end development, but that doesn't mean you don't have design. So, so let me give you an example of this. The product that you and I started working at right out of college, the company was Zane Benefits. You eventually became the CEO of it, but when you weren't, when we were just the new kids there, the product was it, it let uh, employees of companies go in and get reimbursed for their health insurance, basically. Most users logged in, what, once a month, maybe? Mm -hmm. And if they logged in, it's effectively upload a file, hit save, and leave. Um, All of the work that went on, all the business value that was being provided was happening either in backend code or in actual like literal human services we were doing on the backend. Um, It did not matter to the users how slick the front end code was like, was the page reloading when you submitted the form or did it do it in the background without reloading the page? 
That is, in my opinion, like the vast majority of the complexity that's been added over the last 10 years is in that front end code area. So if you you can even have a great design, but as long as it's the interactions and the real time stuff, as long as that doesn't need to be real complicated, as was the case at Zane Benefits, I think that'll be the easiest thing for you to tackle an MVP of. So you're saying uh, basically go light on, you're saying avoid trying to become an expert on the new age design technologies mm-hmm. and front end technologies and, and instead focus on learning how to basically make logic work with a database. Yeah. More backend heavy and whatever front end stuff you do, it should be about how it like how it looks is fine, but you don't want really heavy, like really complex interactions. Um, so why, why are you because, suggesting this? It's just a lot harder to code. So I'll give you an example. Less knowing serum started with that old technology. As we've gotten more advanced and more polished, we switched to this newer technology called react, which I find to be very complicated. Um, the joke I've heard is it's 10 times more effort to build for a 20, 20% better experience. Um, everything like you never see the page reload. Everything happens instantly. But I build a CRM. People are in that all day, every day, little tight, like shaving milliseconds off of an interaction, make it a lot better for the user. There are so many applications out there where like a, a nice a nice thing to say is, could this be something that people log into no more than once a week? Um, if you can do that, it's almost a guarantee. Having really, really complex, sophisticated user interactions is not going to be a part of that experience. Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah, but what... If my goal, I, the, the, I think you may be right, but there's something bothering me about the approach of just focusing on the back end. And I guess where where I get a little nervous about, I go back to our episode where I, if I want to take a piece of the stack, if I, really a really successful uh, project for me. So one constraint I have is I will not, I'm starting this now. Mm-hmm. And I will December 31st in the project. Okay. Okay. So I, it's a, I have a time bound on how much I'm going to spend on this. And, uh, you know, my goal is, you know, first to build, you know, to, to, to clarify my own capabilities. Mm-hmm. That's like 50% of the goal is just where, where does my ability stop? And, 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 um, and then second is if I can build some, some, some application that's billable, um, that, that works, um, the one the one concern I have with approaching it from the back end side is I don't know that I'm going to be good enough at the end of it to truly from an MVP standpoint like remove a layer from the stack of the person I need to hire. In okay. other words, did, w- w- yeah, do you understand what I'm saying? I, I understand what you're saying. I want to clarify my point though. It's not that you're focusing on the back end. Okay. There's there's the, all the back end stuff, and people can't see me, but my right hand is saying back end and on the left end you have design and then you have front end engineering between the two i'm not saying you don't focus on ux and ui design and having a great user interface i'm saying that the technical complexity of the front end is what you pull out of there so like if you think about what just because it's the hardest thing to it's in my opinion by far the most complex and difficult thing to code these days interesting I, i think you can go in and build a simple crud app with even relatively sophisticated backend capabilities, that's it's like yeah, like anything's hard. It's hard, but you could learn that in, in three or four months, no problem. And then maybe the person I bring on is a, a front end expert versus a full stack developer, mm-hmm. potentially. And I mean, a lot of businesses are made without ever having this person. Like 
like once again, Zane benefits never needed, and I don't know if they have it now, but uh, it's people keep now. I, they still probably don't need this to be a successful business. That's helpful. That's interesting. Okay, I'm bought into you're not, you're basically taking a more generalist approach of build an app that's functional so you understand everything across the stack and don't get make sure you pick a an app focus on something that won't require significant front end uh complexity mm-hmm. because if it if it does it's going to slow my ability to get the full yeah pro- thing done exactly so are you advocate so so okay i understand that what's the best way to learn this stuff is it is it to go, uh, you know, be an apprentice? I talked to one guy the other day. He's a member of Panel Labs, and he's building a software shop up in, uh, up in Deer Valley or Park City. And he's, an, he was like the ex chief engineer at Booz Allen, and so he's super smart and interesting. And one thing I talked about him was maybe I come intern. My dad, mm-hmm. when he was little, where they <laughs> wanted to learn about automobile mechanics, so he interned as a mechanic for like basically free to learn how to work on a car. And it resulted in the garage filled with cars that didn't work when I was in college. Um, but it was so fu- always fun to tinker with him. Is your dad like a lawyer or something? Yeah, he's a lawyer. Okay. Yeah. So, but this <laughs> was like something the- he was really passionate about and interested in learning, but you know, probably was never going to be a full-time mechanic. Yeah. As a result, there's, you walk into our garage and you see two engines out of a car <laughs> and that's a project from, you know, five years ago that hasn't quite been completed, but it will be completed at one point, you know? Sure. Um, uh, so, so, but I, I guess that's what I'm trying to get to is do I, do I go apprentice here? Do I take online classes? Do I learn by, by theory mm-hmm. or do I learn by building components? Do I, or do I just say, Hey, I'm going to go build something and I'm not going to stop until it's done. Okay. Yeah. So I'd say, A, you absolutely have to be building something, whether it's working, doing an apprenticeship or working on your own project. I, I don't think purely studying theory makes any sense. It, it just doesn't work. And the second thing I'll say is, because um, I've taught my fair share num- number of people how to code at this point. Uh, three of our full-time software engineers here didn't know how to code when they started working here. I'll say the biggest thing that... Um, kind of levels you up a lot faster that you might not otherwise get is being able to get code reviews from an experienced programmer. So this doesn't necessarily mean like a tremendous amount of mentorship, but basically when you write code, someone just looking over it, they could immediately just be like, this thing you did here, it works, but that's not the right way to do it. And you're going to learn so much from those comments. And it it actually doesn't take that much of the other person's time to do it. Interesting. So one, one maybe accelerator is having some sort of mentor that is willing to basically grade my code mm-hmm. uh, on some semi-regular basis and get feedback from that. Yeah. Um, where do I start? Like, so I, tomorrow, let's just say at Labor Day, after Labor Day, I'm going to start building a simple CRUD app that I have no idea what it is, but I'll figure that out. Where do I start? So I'll tell you what uh, I've had success with in the past with people. So first of all, there's a ton of different technologies you're going to have to learn. Like I think one misconception here, I know you don't feel this way, but some people do is that you like one, you learn one programming language and you just write code and that's it. Uh, There are at least five languages that are going to go into this and there's database, infrastructure, backend, frontend. So you need to pick these one at a time. What I recommend doing is you start with just HTML and CSS. I know you already have some experience with that stuff, but these are the pieces that you can make something that visually looks like any website you've ever seen with just these two things, right? So what I've recommended for people before is take a website that's not too sophisticated. Hacker News is one I've used before. It's like a really simple looking site um, and just clone it. 
don't look at any of the source code. You can if you want to, but uh, just make your own HTML file with CSS that looks exactly like Hacker News or some other really simple site. I, probably for most people, it only takes a few days to get pretty comfortable with those two technologies. I'd say that's the easiest part. And you, you already know HTML and CSS reasonably well, right? Uh, Define reasonably well. I mean, like, you know, there are tags and how, you know what CSS does and what HTML does. And even if you don't, you can Google this and read about yeah, it. I'm good on HTML and CSS. I guess yeah. the one thing I would, I ch- I'm, I'm, I'm interested in there is with all, with the no code movement, it seems like a lot of HTML and CSS can be produced by visual, vi- visually mm-hmm. that in a responsive way and then imported into the application. Um, would you, would you, how do you take that into account? with this project? Um, you could do that. Honestly, it's so easy to learn. I don't think you save much time. I think it might be harder to learn a no-code tool than it would be to just learn to code. Okay. Um, it's really simple. And I've taught now 15 people, because every summer we bring people in and teach them to code, 15 people. Some have been really, really strong. Some have really struggled. Nobody has struggled with HTML and CSS. Okay, got it. So first I'm building the the html and css and mm-hmm. cloning some de- like simple front end app out there that i can take a look at mm-hmm. what's next so then what i would suggest is uh pick like a simple app to build that probably isn't the one you actually want to build like this should be a throwaway app the one i always recommend is a blogging tool because a blog is just a perfect abstraction of coding concepts. You put data in, you get it out, you have a list of blog posts. It's all the basic concepts are in a blog. Um, So that's what I normally suggest people start with. So you code the blog in just HTML and CSS. You make a few blog posts, a homepage that links to everything. It's all totally static. There's nothing dynamic or database driven about it. And then bit by bit, you pull it off and move it into the back end and make it dynamic, which basically means instead of having three HTML files, one for each blog post. You say, I'm going to make one, in my case, PHP file, which is the backend language, that pulls whichever post I'm trying to look at from the database. So bit by bit, you can just take this, what starts as a totally static site, and make it more and more dynamic over time until eventually you've got a full-blown blogging platform. You totally lost me. Okay, sorry. (laughs) Uh, So, okay, so I have a static page with three pages Mm-hmm. Maybe four pages, a homepage that lists all the blogs and then three blogs. And then yeah. a CSS file that... Yeah, that styles that, everything. That styles everything. Mm-hmm. And then you said, do something with a PHP file? Yeah, yeah. So, sorry, let me go into more detail here. Um, the way a dynamic website works, and by dynamic, what I mean is the user is seeing something that like you did not necessarily hard code in there. Like If you go into Facebook, you'll see a different news feed than I will if I go into Facebook. That's dynamic, which means it's coming from a database. Um, a blog or anything, pretty much every website is going to, uh, it's not going to have a separate web page for every post you can look at. It's going to have one page that's like view post or something like that. Uh, and then you can specify which post you want to see. So you could say like view post.php question mark blog post ID equals one or blog post ID equals two. You've seen these in URLs before. Those are called URL parameters. You know what I'm talking about? Yep. Okay, so what happens is the URL parameter tells your code which blog post you're trying to look at, and then it goes to the database and says, give me that just that one post, and it 
generates the HTML on the fly and sends that to the browser. So you just have one file that can serve every single blog post that you write. And does that file actually create the HTML? Mm -hmm. Got it. So, so in other words, instead of having to manually code each blog page individually, I create a new thing called called a file a PHP file. Mm-hmm. What do you call this general generally without saying PHP? Um, it, a dynamic it, file. It would be whatever your your server side coding language is. So PHP or Python or Ruby, one of those things. Okay, so we we create some sort of server side file that says, "Hey, no longer am I. You, you don't have to code these anymore. We're going to take some inputs from the you know from uh, from the database, and then we're going to create an actual HTML file based on those for each blog post mm-hmm. that uh, is populated based on inputs." Yeah, I got yes. it. I got it. Okay, cool. And just to just to clarify some of this, every the only thing web browsers can run is HTML, CSS, and JavaScript. That's it. So you use some kind of server-side coding language. No matter what you use, all it does is it generates HTML, and then that gets sent to the browser. Got it. Okay. Um, and then what's nice about this, so now you can read any blog post from that one file. And what this means is in order to make new blog posts, you don't have to uh, code anything. You just put new data into the database. So what's the next step? You make a form that says, okay, like here's the title of the blog post, here's the body of it, whatever other you know SEO stuff, whatever you want. You save the form and that puts it in the database and then boom, now you've got a new blog post published on your website. Got it. Okay. And then what? Well, so let's go back to the term CRUD. Okay. Create, read, update, delete. So, so far, read was the first step. Read blog posts from the database. Uh, Create was inserting a new blog post. So let's do the other two. Let's make an update one so we can take all our blog posts in some admin section and say, I want to edit this blog post. So you pull the data from the database, display it in a form, let yourself edit it, save it, and that saves it back into the database. So basically walk through the acronym CRUD and mm-hmm. I, I guess, um, okay, got it. Once I'm through the CRUD stuff mm-hmm. on this throwaway app, what do I do next? So... Um, I think you could gauge for yourself at that point how uh, comfortable you are with stuff. You could potentially build your full app with just those skills. Um, 80% of software in the world is just just that. Where does so one thing that I one one thing I want to do is I want this MVP to be billable. Mm-hmm. How do you set up is how do you set what what is required outside of CRUD <laughs> to set up the ability to charge customers money? That's really important to me. Okay, so I mean, first, let me, let me push back a little. Yeah, you need to be able to charge people. The software does not necessarily have to. So you could create a Stripe account and just manually invoice people. And you can even set up recurring payments and all that in Stripe without having any code written if you want. Is that of interest to you? Yes, but not for purposes of this project. I'd like to challenge myself to code that. Okay. So back in the day, this was really, really complicated. Now, with I would recommend Stripe, but I think they have competitors that are similar now. Um, so do you know what you know what an API is, right? It's a way for one application piece of, programming interface. Yes, it's a way for one piece of like one program to interact with another program, right? So the company Stripe is really good at processing payments. They have an API. So if you want to charge somebody, you just call their API functions. So you write code in your server that says, you know, here's this user, here's how much I want them to pay. Char- go charge them. Um, so there's still code writing involved, but Stripe makes it pretty easy. They actually make it a CRUD, a CRUD 
interface. Mm-hmm. It's all create, yeah. read, update, delete, but just f- via their API. Right. And there's all so kinds that, of complexity behind the scenes. Like we have to go contact the merchant account and this and that. I don't but have you, to worry about that. Yeah, exactly. Okay, cool. So through APIs, I can expand my CRUD app without actually having to learn the complexity outside of CRUD. Yeah. Um, when you talk about the no code movement, I mean, my understanding of what that means is basically you've got all these different tools that exist that you don't, you know, they already exist. You don't have to code them up yourself and they connect to each other with APIs. And so you can either be pure no code. Like some people build companies without ever writing a line of code, but even, even better, I think is you write a little bit of code and then you can say, okay, I'm going to pull someone's events down from Google calendar and then I'm going to do something to them. And then I'm going to push them into whatever other app and boom, now I can charge money for that. This is really helpful. I'm realizing that we talked about CRUD in our last episode, and I'm I'm starting to realize that that is the base, like that is the curriculum: create, mm-hmm. read, update, delete. Um, part of me, I don't. What's your curriculum? How does your curriculum differ for your new hires in software from what you're telling me right now? So we we, uh, we literally do the blog example exactly as I just said it, um, and then. At that point, I say I sit down with each of them. They're all college students, so they're in addition to mentoring them on technical stuff, I'm mentoring them just on like how to work at a company and stuff like that. But I'll say, what do you want to build this summer? And then we just start on it right away. Like once they've built the blog, they have all the core skills. The the only final missing piece is JavaScript. Um, so let me talk about that for a second. The only uh, any website that has any interactivity to it, meaning something changes on the website without reloading the page. Uh, it's always JavaScript. So if you think back in the day, like in the 90s, a web page was text, links, and forms, and nothing else, right? Or images, maybe. But the only way to make the web page change was to click a link or submit a form, and the whole thing reloaded, right? Nowadays, when you use a web page, stuff's changing all over the place. You know, Chat messages are coming in, notifications are coming in. Um, anything that changes without reloading the whole page is happening in JavaScript. It's the only programming language that web browsers are capable of running. So you can so what build. Is, what is, but what, where does React, like that concept you talked about earlier, fit in? Yeah. So I said 10 years ago is easier to do this, right? 10 years ago, JavaScript was pervasive. Everyone knew JavaScript, uh, but it was pretty simple still. What, like nowadays, the, this extra complexity I'm talking about is. JavaScript is not a programming language that was really intended to build web apps. It's just a normal programming language that kind of got co-opted for the web. There's all these frameworks, React being one of them, Vue, Angular, Ember. um, All of these things came out to make it possible to make really, really sophisticated apps with JavaScript that don't feel like web apps. They feel like native desktop apps. Um, uh, They basically give, inject JavaScript with steroids. Yeah. Yes, um, but it's it's if you're building a really complicated app, it's easier to do it with React. But if you're building a simple app, you'd be better off not using it at all because it's like overkill. It's 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 like using Salesforce as your CRM. If you have really complex needs, absolutely go use it. If you're a one person business that just needs a contact list, it would be incredibly complex to use Salesforce for that. Okay, so I I, subs- I subscribe to your. Okay, so JavaScript is another thing. Is there anything else about your curriculum that's that you'd add to this? No. So after that point, it becomes very personalized. So it depends on what each... Some people use APIs, some people don't. It, it just depends on what they need. Okay, so what I want to... So I want to back up. Before I start 
I, I know how to build an HTML website. In fact, I could use Squarespace for this and just hard code the HTML and CSS without using their model. I could also go to GoDaddy and just upload HTML files and CSS files and work that way. Um, w- when it comes to the database part, how do you? where do you start in terms of setting up a database and actually doing the create part? Yeah. Yeah. So this, this is, we're getting to the infrastructure side of things. Um, so you can make HTML, CSS, and JavaScript. You can write that on your computer, just open it in a web browser and it'll work. You'll have a working website. As soon as you introduce your server side language, PHP, Ruby, Python, whatever, uh, a database, either of those two things, you need a server, right? The normal model here is you're going to have a local server running on your machine. And then you're also going to have like a production server out on the internet that anyone can access. So you you write code on your machine, you run it on your local server, and then once it's ready, you deploy it to the live one. Okay, okay. you lost me again. Okay. <laughs> um, where? Uh, the When you started talking about servers. Yeah. Okay, so you should think of a server like this. We, we said earlier that any server-side code is really just generating HTML so that your browser can open it. Um, So effectively what happens is when you make a web request to any website, you go to like www.whatever.com, that request is going to the server. The server is going to execute whatever their server-side language is. Once again, PHP, Ruby, Python, Node. Um, That's going to generate HTML and send it back to your browser. Okay, Okay, I got that. So in order to develop this, you need a local one of those on your computer that basically can take fake web requests they never go out on the internet. It's like your, your version of Chrome or whatever you use on your computer is saying to the server, hey, I want to load this file. Can you run the code that I wrote and send me back the HTML? Okay, it's also it. what's going to host the database. You should just think of a database as an Excel file, more or less. Um, but there, each row has a unique ID. And you can say, like, save something to the row with this unique ID, pull that unique ID out, and give me the data. So if I want to go build a database on the internet, where do I go? Yeah, so you're going to need some kind of hosting provider. Okay. Um, if you're building like a robust, sophisticated web app, that's probably going to be Amazon Web Services or Microsoft Azure or Google, whatever they call their thing. Okay. Uh, I wouldn't assume do I'll that. do AWS. Well, I wouldn't do that personally. Why not? So I'll admit, infrastructure is my weakest point. So you're not talking to an expert here, but AWS, once it's, it's back to the Salesforce analogy, really, really robust. It's not easier by any means. It's it's probably quite a bit more complex than how how web hosting worked works ten years ago. Okay. Um, eventually, you're going to want to be on it, but for this project, I wouldn't do that. Where would you go then? Yeah. So there's a few options. Um, Heroku is H E H E R O K U. I've heard a lot of bad things about it, but I think basically it's an abstraction layer on top of Amazon Web Services, more or less, or something like Amazon Web Services that makes it easier to do like they're basically like if if you need the normal setup they just do it for you and it's a lot easier so that's one option or you said earlier go to GoDaddy or I've used Namecheap which is the same thing as GoDaddy um there's a million commodity hosts out there it, it, I'll say it kind of depends on what language you're going to use I use PHP which there are plenty of reasons not to use it but every single web host on the planet supports PHP so you go to any of them set up a $10 a month account it's actually easier to use than Amazon Web Services. Okay. 
All right, so I got to set up a server, whether I use Heroku or whatever, AWS, GoDaddy, that allows me to upload the files um, that that host all this stuff. Yeah. Okay. Can I give a little caveat here that... Yes. So it's possible to build uh, software with no backend at all, um, in which case your hosting gets way, way easier because you don't need a database or anything else. And the way that works is you're you're effectively using other people's APIs for everything, and you're not... You're not storing anything in your actual server. Okay, how do I do that? Well, the, the use cases for that are pretty limited, right? I, okay. I personally wouldn't want to build a company that has absolutely no data. Um, but uh, if you wanted to just, I'll, I'll just say some names so you can Google it. Uh, if you want, Netlify is one really good way to host that. Way, way easier to do the hosting. But the problem is you don't have a database. You don't have server-side coding language or anything like that. And then I would say probably use something like uh, Google, uh, what's it called? Firebase is like effectively a database that they host that you can connect to. So you can send data to them and get it back uh, without actually having your own database. So it is possible. Cool. I wouldn't recommend it. (laughs) You wouldn't recommend it. Well, we won't go into that uh, today. So, okay. I think I'm ready for takeaways. Would you add anything else before we go there? Um, okay. So I, why don't we do the takeaways and I'll find out by the end of that, if I have yeah. anything else. Cool. So, um, one thing that one of my takeaways is there's a lot of the, I, there's a bird's eye view that I don't quite have yet. And I need to do some generalist research to like vi- be able to visualize in my head, all the components out there in order to build a cred app mm-hmm. and part, you know, we've kind of simplified it into design front end backend infrastructure, but there's a layer down that I need to go that actually connects those. And so I can see all the pieces to the puzzle. Then it's um, basically working through uh, building an application, starting with a static HTML version of what it would look like and doing it, doing everything manually, and then working through uh, the CRUD of CRUD, create, read, update, delete, uh, one at a time until I have a fully functioning web application. Um, in order to do that, I'm going to need to set up the infrastructure to support it. You mentioned a number of different ways to do that. So I guess it's first general approach, second, set up the infrastructure, third, static, uh, fourth, create, five, update, six, read. <laughs> no, f- create, read, update, delete mm-hmm. in that order. And then it's polish on top of that uh, with either, you know, improvements to the, to the, to the UI or, um, you know, or even adding in APIs to do, to add more functionality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let me, let me just editorialize a little bit. I think that's a good summary of everything. Um, one thing I should have mentioned, you can, uh, for hosting, you can develop this locally and not worry about a host until it's done, if you want. Um, it's a lot easier to get wor- working on your local computer. So that's a good place to start is ju- pick your languages. Um, that That's going to be one of the hardest things here. What is your server-side language going to be? What is your database going to be? Um, database is easier, but with database, you're either picking MySQL or Postgres, probably. With server-side languages, you're probably picking Node.js, PHP, Ruby, Python, those are the big ones. Uh, once you have that, though, you can just get a local environment on your computer and start going and worry about hosting it on the internet later. Okay. 
Um, Where do you get this local hosting stuff? Does that come on your computer? Yeah, it depends on what language you use. So I use, once again, PHP. If you just Googled WAMP, W-A-M-P, that stands for, you're a Windows user, right? Mm -hmm. That's Windows, Apache, Microsoft, PHP. Yep. (coughs) Those are all the technologies you need. There's the same thing, MAMP, if you're on a Mac. Uh, But if you choose to use Ruby... I'm sure there's something similar to that, but I don't have experience with that. But Got it. So there's basically local setups that you can go find online by Googling that allow you to run a run this all on your local computer. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I got it. Cool. Cool. Um, and then a final thing I'll just say is get, get into GitHub. When you're writing code, get in the habit of checking all your code into GitHub uh, so that it's backed up. And What is GitHub? Uh, GitHub is a... Uh, so Git is a version control system, which basically means every time you change your code, you want a log of all your old code so that if you introduce a bug or whatever, you can roll it back. GitHub is an online host of Git repositories. So you just push your code up to GitHub and you've got a repository. You've got a like online record of everything you've ever written. You can share it with other people. You can That's how you do code reviews is you say, hey, here's a link to this chunk of code. Can you please review it and let me know what you think? That's helpful. I've got it, man. Well, I'm interested to see how this goes. Um, I don't know. I need to, I need to, um, the other thing I left out was just, I need to find some people that could be a support group to me and mentor some of my mistakes uh, Mm -hmm. out of me. Yeah. I, I I have no doubt you'll be able to find that somewhat easily, but I think a big thing is what technologies are you going to pick? For example, if it's PHP, MySQL, React, I'm happy to help. Personally, if you go with Ruby on Rails, uh, I'm not going to be much help for you. So <laughs> that makes total sense. So yeah. language comes first. Um, ma- macro understanding comes first. Second is picking the languages, and third is starting to work on it, and then f- while finding someone who can tr- troubleshoot with you, yeah, or yeah, mentor exactly. you. I got yeah. it. Cool. Well, um, let's wrap up. Uh, thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening. You can join the conversation on this topic and review past topics by visiting our website, startuptolast.com. We'd love to hear your thoughts and ideas. We, we really want to engage with our listeners. Um, we're not so concerned with adding a bunch of listeners right now. We're really concerned with finding out who out there is listening and who is interested in, in what we're saying. And whether it's positive feedback or negative po- feedback, we want to hear it so we can improve. Uh, reach out to us whatever by whatever medium you see fit. Twitter, uh, we're both on Twitter, LinkedIn. We have a website. You can reach out to us there. Uh, we just want to hear from you. So uh, uh, with that, I will see you next week. Don't reach out to me on LinkedIn. I won't answer. But all why, the other why ones. Why is that? I, I just turned off all my notifications. Oh, well. <laughs> I understand. Sorry. I understand why. <laughs> Facebook. Uh, Tyler's not on Facebook, so don't even try to do Facebook. It's you have to mail me a physical letter. That's the only way to talk to me. <laughs> cool. All well, right. uh, I'll see you next week, man. Cool. Talk to you later. Bye.